We made this. Welcome everyone to a podcast all about the sounds of cinema and television and discussion about them between the notes, which is where we come in. I'm Batman. No, I'm not. Actually, I'm Tony Black. <laughs> I'm your host. <laughs> and I'm joined by... Sean Wilson. No, Sean Wilson, really. <laughs> Sorry, Robin. I need to take a... I need to take a... Yeah, Robin. <laughs> I need to take a strap, Sills. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> um, and in this, in this episode, you'll be shocked to hear, we're talking about the biggest release of March 2022. We're looking at Michael Giacchino's The Batman the score for the Batman. Uh, plus, we're gonna. This is quite a special little episode, really, because we're looking at all the previous Bat score works by uh, Danny Elfman, Shirley Walker, Elliot Goldenthal, James Newton Howard, uh, a bit of Junkie XL, and Hans Zimmer. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. This, but let's kick you off straight away with a track from the Batman, uh, as we've very kindly been supplied the soundtrack and the opening track, "Can't Fight City Halloween." Brace yourself for some vengeance.
So, Sean, yeah, obviously we're gonna we are gonna talk the Batman in depth uh, later on. Um, but uh, this is this this is a fun little uh, specific episode, isn't it? Because the Batman is such a big a big film with such a lexicon of scores behind it. You know, a franchise that's not connected film by film as such. You know, Bond, James Bond style in many ways. Different Batman at different points in time. Going back right to, you know, the 1960s, which with the Camp 60s TV show, which immortalised the Batman back then. Yeah, what was the what was the gag? It's like what does what does Batman's mum call to him at home? Dinner, 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 Batman. That was a gag. I'm totally. <laughs> I'm stealing that again for when I have children. Absolutely, um, but that, that yeah, exactly. And that has been that was immortalised all the way through the childhoods of anyone from the '60s onwards, including you know myself, growing up in the in the '80s until uh, we came to the big revival of Batman. You know, in the blockbuster era, era the Tim Burton movies. And um, so it's it's got a, and we're gonna we're gonna obviously talk then about all these different things. So it's, it's got it's got a real history, hasn't it? Music from Batman and the and these films, Sean. Yeah, the, 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 and the the remarkable thing is they're so varied because obviously film music is mutable, and film music is there to support the imagery and the iconography of the film in question. So as Batman himself has evolved, you know, visually, aesthetically, emotionally, the music has, has shifted with it. I mean, I suppose we ought to doff the cap to Nelson Riddle, who wrote the score for the 1966 you know, Adam West Batman. You just mentioned there, obviously Nelson Riddle came off the TV series because Neil Hefty had done the dinner, 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 dinner theme, you know, um, and then Nelson Riddle kind of, you know, sort of adapted that theme and brought these, you know, these bossa nova, like kind of big band jazz instrumental stylistics to, and, you know, it's easy to laugh at it, but that music works brilliantly with that iteration no, it does. of Batman, doesn't it? It's great. It does, yeah. <laughs> it's even even like the, um, you know, the famous scene transitions where, you know, the, the cat, it spins and it goes, it's brilliant. You know, it is really brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it just goes to show that soundtrack music's primary function is to support the image. If the soundtrack can then be listened to outside of the image, that's kind of like the cherry on the cake, really. But the composer, the essence of a composer is to understand the director's vision and to understand the characters that they're being presented with. And, you know, back in the 60s, you know, groovy, LSD, psychedelic, Adam West, Batman. That's exactly what you needed. And, and you, you know, you fast forward it to today. Batman is very, very different stylistically from what we got back then. So therefore, it makes sense that Michael Giacchino's music is different. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a real journey from that original 1960s music all the way through. And we're going we're gonna to trace it. We're going to go composer by composer and talk about some of the works they've done. Following following that, since uh, 1989, over the last 33 years now of, of multiple Batman movies. Now, we're covering primarily the live action stuff. I know there have been a ton of, you know, animated things. There's animated series, there's, there's animated movies, there's, there's all kinds of things. There's things like the Lego Batman movie, that kind of thing. But we're not going to do that. We're just going to focus on the live action Batman movies because we could we could record like five different podcasts probably with the sheer amount of batman stuff out there we're not covering any tv series or anything like that so we're going to focus it and streamline it but there are lots of other batman movies that we won't be covering or things featuring batman 
Um, so it's important to point that out right at the very top. This this isn't going to cover everything, but um, it's going to cover the primary one. So let's start with Danny Elfman then, who for years, Sean, I suppose, with, for his score for the 1989 Tim Burton Batman, the 1992 Batman Returns, um, and then very briefly reprising some of the Bat theme, that same Bat theme for uh, 2017's original cut of Justice League for, Zach, for Joss Whedon slash Zack Snyder. That was the definitive Bat theme, wasn't it, for, for, for a long, long, long time? It still is the definitive Bat theme for me. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a purist and nothing has come close to what Danny Elfman did <laughs> with this. You know, Danny Elfman is the sound of Batman. You know, and I know we're going to be talking through a lot of other extraordinary composers as well as Elfman on on this, but there's no denying how brilliantly he captured the essence of this character. And I think the genius of what he did for Tim Burton on these two scores, um, we'll start with the first one in 1989, was he he's able to bring this this orchestral grandeur and gothic kind of menace which is exactly what you need for Batman you know the the character who is an embodiment of fear who is designed to strike fear into criminals who when he's outside the cape and cowl Bruce Wayne is a very very tormented isolated individual you know the idea Danny Elfman uses the harmonics of the orchestra Um, I think it was the National Philharmonic Orchestra in London to churn around in those lower registers but the the theme the main theme and this is all based around a theme believe me this is going to be a recurring um, recurring conversation on this podcast superhero movies need themes and they need clearly delineated themes (laughs) so and this is what danny elfman gets batman has an identity in these a musical identity in these two tim burton movies this is what this is why it works that philosophy works and at the same time as it's gothic and grandiose and expansive, there is also a subtly knowing, campy undertow to Danny Elfman's music. When you listen to the militaristic like snare drum arrangements and the slight umpar variations in the in the lower brass sections, like the tubers, it does have a knowingly winky tone to it, which meshes with the darkness of it so well. So, you know, he's... Danny Elfman honours the spirit of the character, but also that essentially pulp outsized origin of the character as well. He does it in the single Batman theme, which lasts about two and a half minutes during those opening credits on the Tim Burton movie, which is one of the best opening credits ever. I mean, literally, I remember watching that on video when I was about seven and I was absolutely entranced. And that is what good film music should do. It tells you everything about the character before you've even met the character and you know who Batman is before he even turns up in the first Tim Burton movie. It's, it's brilliant. And the loyalty to that Batman theme across Batman 89 and also Batman Returns anchors the score in a very clear identity. This is Batman's story, but Elfman's ability to build other themes around that is really quite remarkable. One should also point out the two very, very important individuals on this. The first is conductor Shirley Walker, who really took Elfman's more outlandish ideas along with orchestrator Steve Bartek who's the other really important individual they translated Elfman's compositional ideas into pragmatic um, considerations for the orchestra bearing in mind that Danny Elfman up to this point was not an established film composer he'd done Beetlejuice for Tim Burton the year before he'd done Midnight Run which is one of my favorite scores of his but Danny Elfman wasn't really he wasn't a classically trained composer he came out of rock music so he was thrown full bore into this you know this brief like right we want you to come up with a score for batman and he was he was to an extent forced to rely on his conductor and his orchestrator 
to really understand the practicalities of what it takes to write large-scale symphonic scoring. So Walker and Bartek really do deserve their credit here, even though it's demonstrably a Batman score. You hear the genesis of, you hear the genesis of every other Danny Elfman score in this Batman score, but one must not overlook their, you know, their role in making Elfman's vision possible. I would say absolutely, yeah. It was it it wasn't originally wanted was he by John Peters who's um you know yeah. reputation <laughs> proceeds him in this day yeah. and age played um, by Bradley Cooper in Licorice Pizza we should say so yes <laughs> which I have I haven't seen yet but I I've seen the trailer you know yeah. and I've read I've read books about John Peters so it doesn't surprise yeah. me what I see in that film um but yeah he um he and uh Peter Goober wanted Prince to write the music certainly for the Joker and Michael Jackson to do the romantic stuff so that that that's interesting in that because obviously those two at, at the time were probably pretty much at the top of their game. I mean, Prince obviously you know lingered on a lot longer than Michael Jackson did in terms of popularity, but Prince obviously then went on and did the Bat Dance and contributed to the um, to the soundtrack as well, which was you know one of the, one of one of the aspects I imagine that helped this rocket this film into the stratosphere in, in that year, you know, in 1989. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to underestimate, I think, and forget just how massive this was, this movie back then. I mean, I, I, I was only seven, so I did, I didn't see it in the cinema. I was a little bit too young, but I definitely remember it being in the, in the ecosystem and all through the nineties, you know, even as we were getting the sequels as well, which I do remember seeing, I certainly saw Batman forever. That was my first film I saw in the cinema, um, Batman film, but, this was still the gold standard, you know, and this was one of the formative... Without this film, I don't think we would have modern superhero movies in the way we do today. This really set the scene. So Danny Elfman's music, alongside all these other collaborators, was so important, not just to this franchise, I think, but to just the way superhero music was presented subsequently. Yeah, yeah, the the darkness of this score established not only the tone of Danny Elfman's subsequent superhero scores, and you listen to things like Dark Man and obviously Spider-Man that came much later as well, but also you listen to other Hollywood superhero scores that came in the 90s, like Jerry Goldsmith's The Shadow, which is one of my favourites. I mean, that's Jerry Goldsmith Mm. doing Danny Elfman's Batman. Bingo! It's magnificent. (laughs) Yeah, bingo. Yeah, right. Yeah, there Um, we go. What's that, 10 minutes? Yeah, 10 minutes. There we go. Um, yeah, you've also got David Newman's The Phantom. I mean, every superhero score is, was indebted to what Danny Elfman did with this. And although Prince might have boosted the commercial profile of the movie, Danny Elfman gives it its soul. You know, the, there are Prince music, music on the soundtrack. I mean, you know, Beautiful Dreamer and, you know, you know, Jack Nicholson's Deranged Joker comes into the art gallery, dances around to Prince a little bit. You think, okay, fine. You know, there are, there are Prince needle drops in there, but the Prince's music is not really what makes the film, for me, it's not what, what makes it memorable. You know, Danny Elfman is is the musical spine of it. And it's interesting that, you know, Danny Elfman said that he was originally going to turn Batman down when he said, look, I'm not just going to be a glorified orchestrator while Prince gets all the glory. And Danny Elfman stuck to his guns and they gave him the compositional gig in the end. I think good for him, frankly. But, you know, the arrangements of the Batman theme in that first Batman film, in the Batwing sequence, I mean, I remember being absolutely captivated by that when I watched this on VHS. We taped it off the telly. You know, you taped everything off the telly in the early 90s, yeah. right? <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. It's, <laughs> and the bit when he grabs the Joker's, Jack Nicholson's balloons, and he's, he's struggling to kind of steer the Batwing away from the cathedral that's mm. looming up in front of him, and you get that anvil that just sort of pounds a little bit, and it's like, it creates, it's just an example of musical nuance, instrumental nuance that invests you further in the character's struggle 
against evil but those touches are all over this score um the use of the organ um in the up the cathedral sequence going into the final battle which basically makes it sound like a hammer horror film which obviously you know tim burton very indebted to that his visual style the 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 early the axis chemicals sequence at the beginning when jack napier jack nicholson's character is falls into the vat of chemicals and becomes the joker which has got this amazing kind of dichotomy between these again these very almost like comical tuba arrangements and these more high register trumpets so it's kind of heroic and also tongue-in-cheek and comic at the same moment this is a this is an incredible score it's so brilliant and you know it's it's dark but it's fun and Mm. that is the essence of it and i don't think i'll hand on heart no one has got the essence of batman musically better than danny elfman did you know i said i'm a purist and you know he 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 built on this in batman returns you know he built in you know the choral post edward scissorhands theme for the penguin danny devito those microtonal wailing strings for michelle pfeiffer's catwoman which are just brilliant i mean that's you know you the idea of the high register strings to to communicate like this sort of keening like cat wail that's been ripped off ad infinitum in the wake of Batman Returns. You know, it's just, yeah, I can't say enough good things well, about Danny Elfman's work on these films. Well, yeah, it's it's great. I, I, I honestly think I prefer Batman Returns as a score to this, mm. only, only marginally. But I think he really, like you said, he develops these things. And I, th- I suppose in a way he has, he has a little bit more to play with in terms of creating different themes and registers for different characters because there's there's at least three villains in Batman Returns whereas in the in Batman there's kind of only really one you know in the Joker although I mean there might be one or two other minor ones in there but it's pretty you know in Batman Returns and this was what I always remember this 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 very much set the tone for those early Batman movies in the 90s for having like three or four villains Batman Returns you know and it, and it became very much like a, a real rogues gallery you know in that sense and then, obviously, as the, as we'll talk about, as the, as the films develop, they get they they lean more back into kind of like the sixties rogues gallery camp of it all. But in this, the 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 ideas he's playing with musically really stand out, and and obviously, got Burton really amps up the the gothic nature of this. I think in Batman Returns, you know, it fused with that Christmas aesthetic going on. It, it's you know a very snowy, cold landscape. It re- I think it allows him to create something with a little bit, a little bit more depth, building on what he's done before, and it, it's it's so good, like it's so so good, it's so rich. You know, there's lots of two part cues in the score as well. You know, allowing him to build on things. I I I just I think this is I think this is his best work that he did with with all of these themes personally. Yeah, I mean, Batman Returns is morbid. I mean, it's twisted. I mean, this is yeah, it is. Yeah. I, mean, I remember watching this. I mean, the first Tim Burton Batman movie didn't didn't really disturb me at all. I watched that quite a lot when I was about seven, eight years old. Nothing really bothered me about it. I mean, you know, Jack Nicholson's Joker is basically almost like the pervy uncle at a wedding, isn't he? He's funny. He's not particularly scary. <laughs> And it's just, you know, and you you accept him for what he is. But Batman Returns, I remember I only watched it a couple of times. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually getting a little bit creeped out by this. It's quite it's quite weird. I mean, you know, Tim Burton's clear affinity for the villains in all their twisted spectacle, in all their like grotesque glory is obviously very evident. And this is why Warner Brothers jumped ship and they they wanted to move on from Tim Burton's Joel Schumacher, which then we've got obviously Batman Forever and Batman and Robin that we'll be talking about momentarily but yeah Danny Elfman's music yeah I do think you're right it is more thematically sophisticated in Batman Returns the music is because I mean starting with that 
birth of the penguin sequence with the organ and then the children's choir, which captures both the grotesquery and the tragedy of the penguin as, as you know, as we were introduced to his origins. Then you get him being dropped into the sewers, which leads into the Batman, the you know, new orchestration of the Batman sequence, which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And then you get the the contrapuntal, the counterpoint, as the Batman and Penguin themes are threaded together during the opening credit sequence. This is all this stuff that I'm saying is what a superhero score needs to do. All of these instrumental devices, the idea of in the music you have different identities circling each other, overlapping with each other. This is what I want out of superhero scores. You're dealing with archetypes, you're dealing with mythical outsized characters they need identities and you can probably imagine where i'm going to go with this argument slightly later on in this podcast right we've spoken enough about this in the past you can probably predict where i'm going to go with this but what danny elfman did with these two movies in conjunction with shirley walker and steve bartek was brilliant uh, well not brilliant it was groundbreaking it was sort of genre, genre defining and you know full credit to tim burton who's obviously stuck with danny elfman uh, barring um ed wood because they they fell out uh, they had like created disagreements around the time of batman returns and then the nightmare before christmas i think things got a little bit overwrought and they had to take a break from each other but you know tim burton as the director obviously the reason why the music is like this is because the director encourages it the director works with the composer and apparently tim burton is very very fastidious about his music so you you, you credit tim burton as much for this as well but it's it's interesting because apparently I, I I read a um quote from Danny Elfman just recently. Apparently he really wasn't happy with the the way that his first Batman score, the nineteen eighty nine one, was mixed in in the finished movie. He was really unhappy with it, and he said, "Look, you know, apparently he he thought it got um buried a lot amidst the, you know in in the final dub, you know, amidst all the sound effects." I I mean, I'm not a musician, I'm not a composer, I'm not a mixer. It sounds perfectly well mixed to me. I mean, the nuances of Danny Elfman's music are very apparent in the 1989 Batman movie, but clearly, as a, from his professional point of view, he obviously wasn't happy with it, which is interesting, but I think it shows what's at stake when it comes to scoring these big blockbuster superhero movies, right? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And I think it, 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 it does depend, I think, on, on these things. It, it can vary sort of film to film. Shooting ahead, I think, I think it they get that right in the Batman, mm, yeah, for Michael Giacchino's score definitely. Um, but but yeah, it, it is it is masterful stuff. I mean, speaking of shooting ahead, what do you think of how Elfman integrates some of that Bat theme into his Justice League score? Which I mean, I I I didn't I don't really remember a great deal of, if I'm honest. I mean, that film I've sort of airbrushed it out of my memory anyway. Both cuts, <laughs> frankly, because I don't buy this this idea that this four hour Zack Snyder director's cut is some masterpiece. It's not. It's okay. You know, that's about as far as I'll go. But obviously that doesn't have Elfman's music, does it? That has Junkie XL's score to it. But what do you think about him weaving that in? Did it did it work bringing that back some, you know, 30 years later? Uh, bluntly, no. I don't think it did. <laughs> I knew um, you were going to say that. <laughs> it, yeah, I don't think it did. And bearing in mind, I've just waxed lyrical about Danny Elfman's two standalone Batman scores and you know, the superior genre is indebted to him for what he did with the first two Batman scores. But no, the, the the Justice League experiment, if it can be called, didn't work at all. It's difficult to know where to apportion the blame with this. Obviously, the production of that movie was an absolute disaster across, you know, across multiple reasons. Zack Snyder was going to do it. He had to leave for reasons of family tragedy. Joss Whedon came in. 
they retooled it, recalibrated it, they added more humour, they reshot lots of it. And I think what that probably meant was the brief of the music was probably originally going to be quite different. The brief of the music was probably more like the music that eventually came out in the Snyder Cut, you know, the Junkie XL, you know, that very aggressive post-industrial thing. But I think once Joss Whedon came in, on the original cut of Justice League, I get the feeling that the, the brief of the music changed and what they needed. They realised that the film was flagging. You get Danny Elfman in, who is the embodiment of the superhero score. Brilliant, great. He brings a lot of prestige with him. And then they encourage him to very awkwardly jam his 1989 Batman theme in there, which has got no continuity with the version of of Batman that's in the film, Ben Affleck. So it's like, why are we hearing this? Where's this continuity? Where, there's no continuity here. And it didn't work. It also, the tone of that Batman theme doesn't work with the ugly, overblown aesthetic of the Justice League movie anyway. So it it just goes to show that tonality of music only works when it meshes perfectly with the director's vision. You can't just take a theme from somewhere and bolt it onto another movie altogether and think, right, there we go. That's going to that's gonna make the fans nostalgic. It doesn't work. So it's not entirely Danny Elfman's fault. I mean, Danny Elfman is subservient to the needs of the director. I mean, Joss Whedon clearly must absorb a lot of the blame there. But generally speaking, that movie was a complete disaster and the music ultimately only served to make it messier and I'm pretty sure that Elfman quoted John Williams' Superman theme at one point in that, didn't he? I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, um, maybe, yeah. I think he did. Which didn't work. That that didn't make any sense either because <laughs> this version of Superman as played by Henry Cavill owes nothing to the Christopher Reeve Superman for whom that theme was mm. written. So I, it's, it's... I think it's, it's an important distinction, isn't it? Because the, these themes... You know, I, th- I think Elfman was maybe trying to prove that the Bat theme is universal in that sense, mm. which, yes, in a way I can understand, but I do think that it-, it asks the audience a lot to be able to tether something so iconographically, iconographically tethered to a particular time and place and character and take on something to then lever it and put it into something else. You know, these these however much you they they might be brilliant themes that you could that 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 escaped the movie, you know, I mean, you know, for, for years, people might, you could hum the, dun, 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 and people would know that's Batman, you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if they, they won't think of Michael Keaton, they'll think of Batman, you know, or they'll, you'll hear the Superman theme by John Williams, and, you know, it's the same thing, but then trying to put it into a completely different movie with a completely different context at a completely different point there is there is a challenge in that, and so it's a little bit of a. I suppose it, in a way, I'm arguing two different things, but I do think that it it feels like a cheat a little bit, doesn't it? You know, it, it feels a little bit like they're trying to shortcut your way into their way into a nostalgic approach to Batman and these characters through that movie, and. I get it in a way, but in a, and in a way I wanted it to work. I remember thinking at the time, oh, that's exciting. That would be really interesting to see him do that with Ben Affleck's Batman. But then it just doesn't really fit or it just feels it's not given the attention. It feels like it's there for the sake of being there because Batman is there as opposed to creating something completely different and new that, that owes a debt to that. So it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one. But I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you on this one, definitely. I totally agree with you there. It's it's awkward. It doesn't work. And, you know, it's the classic example of, I think, filmmakers and or the studio 
relying on music in a vain attempt to try and bail out a movie that they know isn't working. Let's try and import mm, a few mm. bars of Danny Elfman's original Batman theme and then that'll distract the audience from the fact that the rest of the movie is a pile of shit that isn't working. And it's <laughs> just and it didn't it didn't work as an experiment. It didn't work. But then you know, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Junkie XL in the world, and you know Zack Snyder then coming back and coming off like he's off awesome Wells and doing a four hour cut of of Justice. I'm like, oh, get lost. I'm like, seriously. I mean, you know, you know <laughs> I mean, you know what I feel about Zack yeah. Snyder. The best times we've spoken yeah. about him well, and his application music. Yeah, and you know, mm-hmm. and that Junkie XL score goes completely the other way in that it's not thematic. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have that thematic awkwardness, but nor does it have any personality whatsoever. And it's, it, you go from one extreme to the other. So neither of those iterations of Justice League have got any idea, any clue about how superhero music should be used. It's an interesting case study. It's a very interesting case study in mm, terms of mm. how film music should work and how yeah. it shouldn't work. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Let's go to one then around the same era that, it, to, for my sins, I haven't seen, actually, and I feel quite guilty about this, because this is a film I should have watched, but I haven't even seen the series that preceded it, actually. And this is now, I, I've fallen a little bit back in love with, this is, a, you know, flash forward, but I did I did love The Batman, and I do like The Batman films, generally, so I am going to check this out. But this is Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which was a feature-length, uh, not version of Batman the Animated Series from the early 90s, but a, a feature-length uh, take on that essentially, um, it, um, you know, leveled up, scaled up back in 1993. Famous chiefly for Mark Hamill's performance as the Joker, I think, more than anything else, which a lot of people have suggested is pretty definitive. And this was scored by Shirley Walker, who you mentioned was involved with the Danny Elfman films around the same time. So there's a nice bit of continuity there. As I say, I've seen, and lately, you know, Twitter is awash with Batman right now, and I've seen. Mask of the Phantasm, high on lists for people who are saying best Batman movies, this kind of thing. So it is a bit of a bl- blind spot for me, which I'm going to correct. Why you, you asked to include this, so I'm assuming you're a big fan of this score, Sean. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a fantastic score. It's composed by Shirley Walker, whom we mentioned earlier as being the conductor for Danny Elfman's two Batman scores. And as I said, she was really instrumental in honing the the tonality the pitch the tempo of those Danny Elfman uh, Batman scores she really showed helped to show Elfman what was possible with a live orchestra on a you know on a thematic superhero basis she then went solo to do the score for Batman Mask of the Phantasm and as I understand it she was the first woman to score a superhero movie in in the process so this is it's historic it really is Mm. historic and you know the, the. I don't want to get too earnest about it, but you know the gender parity in superhero scoring is very, very imbalanced, to put it mildly. And you know, recently we've had Laura Cartman with What If, we've had Pinar Toprak with Captain Marvel, and we've had Hilda Guadnotier for um, Joker. So there, recently, there, yeah. there is also apparently Natalie Holt who scored the Loki TV series. She's doing the Batgirl movie coming ah, next year brilliant or the year after brilliant yeah which is so good. so it's taken a very very long time since shirley walker did batman mask of the phantasm which was 1993 it's taken a very very long time to get to this point uh where we think this parity is being at least partially kind of corrected 
but it's on historical context aside it's a great score it's really good i mean it's it's probably almost as good as elfman's stuff if not as good as it she clearly has got a really rich gothic sense of style the opening credit sequence with that kind of you know almost like gothic plain song latin chanting is really unusual it's not 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 like anything that's really been heard in batman scores before or since really um she really captures the essence of batman kept voiced by kevin conroy in in this in this instance obviously kevin conroy's got one of the definitive batman voices if not the most definitive batman voice i mean I, i really liked michael keaton's kind of like whispering um that's sort of you know understated i mean anything yeah. in christian bale's voice right i mean it's just, <laughs> it's just like, yeah I know. yeah just, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that i imagine we'll get yeah, to that yeah, yeah. uh yeah it's a this is a really important score but quite apart from its importance it's genuinely brilliant shirley walker was a great composer and she the year before this she'd done john carpenter's memoirs of an invisible man so and then she went on to do final destination and i think she she passed away i believe it was in 2006 it was a real loss for the um for the industry yeah it was 2006 Mm. yeah so um you know she was really really sublime orchestrator and conductor but also very very important composer as well and for giving batman mask of the phantasm it's residual sense of atmosphere and it's a great film but she helps invest us in it all the more yeah i i can't recommend this score enough it's it's brilliant yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it at watching it absolutely because i think uh, i i'm and i'm gonna watch batman the animated series because for years people have been telling me how brilliant that is and i and i need to i need to have that and i've got access to it so i'm going i am going to start i might even might even start it today sean we'll see once we finish recording <laughs> yeah maybe um but no i'm glad you included this this is this is you know i talked earlier about how we're going to do live action stuff but this was one exception that i think i think a lot of people who are listening might be like well what about mask of the phantasm what you know so i, th- I think you did the right thing including that there um so cool yeah i am looking forward to that so moving on into the 90s then, when we get to 95, we get to Batman Forever, and this triggers the two Elliot Goldenthal scores, uh, scores Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, 95, 97. Like I said at the top of the show, these were the films I, I first went to the cinema to see. I was a little bit too young for Batman Returns. Uh, I'd seen the first two Burton films on VHS, as you mentioned as well, you know, or on TV. But this, the, the Batman Forever was a massive deal. It was the same year as Goldeneye, which is my favourite James Bond movie. And it was around the time I was just starting to go and see movies more regularly. Jurassic Park, Star Trek Generations. You know, these these films really stand in my mind. Dumb and Dumber, you know, things like that. Ace Ventura. But Batman Forever was, again, huge. I mean, that, that... And this obviously had Val Kilmer in the role, Joel Schumacher directing... A much different film, you know, to the previous two. Really, it yeah. was it was much. It was like they basically ported the nineteen sixties silliness and camp into the nineties, and it just goes off the chain, you know, with Jim Carrey's Riddler, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones as Two Face, ah, you know, and they're, they're, it's just lots of that all the way through, and then Val Kilmer being very, you know, this has the great uh, Michael Goff as as Alfred. Uh, Val Kilmer exchange, where, which I remember from the trailer vividly, where he says, um, "Could I persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir?" <laughs> and he says, "No, thanks, Alfred. 
I'll get drive through, and then he speeds <laughs> off in the Batmobile. Just ridiculous. That, that's right? how we knew that Batman had moved into a new era. It's like, oh, we're not, we're not yeah. in Kansas anymore. This is not Tim no. Burton. We've moved on. <laughs> Absolutely, you'd never get anything like that in the Tim Burton movies. Michael and Michael Goff was very, you know, Judy Dench in the Bond movies, in that he carried through into a different era of Batman here. But yeah, I I I remember loving this film when I was a kid. You know, I had the I had the toys, I had the Batmobile, I had. I had the McDonald's Happy Meal <laughs> tied in. <laughs> I I cannot tell you how much I fancied Nicole Kidman in this film. It was like <laughs> insane amounts. She's she looks incredible here. In she's this she's beautiful in this. Yeah, oh my yeah. God. She's yeah. You, she, you can see why Bruce is. Wayne falls head over heels for her. Yeah. Oh wow, man yeah. alive. God yeah. yeah. Um, but and watching it as an adult, I mean, it's not that really. It's not really very good. It's better. It's better than Batman and Robin, but it's not the greatest film in the world. The score, however. Wow. I mean, wowzers. I mean, I listened to this back after many years. I remember a lot of it. I remember a lot of the register of this. But blimey, Charlie, this this score is fantastic. I, I, and, I, and I think I think the um, the Batman and Robin one maybe isn't quite as good, but it's it's not it's it's not much far off for me. I mean, what do you think about this? Because Golden Thor's a different style of composer to Elfman in many different ways. So switching it up, I think was was it a good choice for the kind of movie or what kind of movies in both of these that we end up getting? Oh, I mean, Golden Thor's compositional style and technique is so different from Elfman. I mean, you know, as I said, Elfman came out of pop and rock music with Oingo Boingo and then moved into film scoring. Golden Thor had this really uncompromising avant-garde style that was really first heard in Alien 3, you know, the, the David Fincher movie, which... Whatever you might think about Alien 3, it's got one of the best scores of the entire series. I mean, it's just brilliant. The use of the moving string adagios and arias that are mixed with these really uncompromising, brutal kind of music concrets, like sort of music as sound effects effects if basically there's lots of moments in alien 3 where you can't tell whether it's music or whether it's sound effects within the scene which is a golden thor trademark and he actually parlays a lot of that music concrete approach into batman forever it's really quite funny to think how the composer of alien 3 ended up doing two of the two naffest batman movies in the 90s <laughs> <It's really, laughs> i know yeah it's yeah, really yeah. weird because yeah. elliot golden thor is and was a, you know an incredibly intellectual experimental film composer you know the likes of alien 3 interview with the vampire you know sort of bear that one out so, um he was oscar nominated for interview with the vampire but you know and when you get to batman forever which was the first of the two films that he did for joel schumacher i mean elliot goldenthal had a really difficult task because these the sound of these films was so defined by danny elfman that it was a real uphill thing. It's like, how on earth do I create a new Batman theme in the shadow of Danny Elfman? And he did it brilliantly. Golden Thor did it brilliantly. And oh, obviously, yeah. you know, as with any film composer, you take your cue from the, the stylistics of the director in the movie. And the movie, I like Batman Forever. I think Batman Forever is still a lot of fun. And you look at it and you think, okay, it's, it's a kind of overproduced, gaudy, rubber-nippled nightmare of a, of a film it's just like it's, yeah although the, the nipples were more of a thing in batman and robin weren't they oh god gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 but you, you can see golden thor must have looked at it you know this is the creator can you imagine in the meeting the composer of alien 3 who came up with that unbelievably dark and brutal score being faced with the initial yeah. edit for batman forever i would have loved to have been in that meeting like you'd just... have been sitting there going what the 
Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, to his credit, he did a, a sublime job on Batman Forever. The he did. theme. It, it's great, isn't it? I mean, there is, like Elfman, there is a theme. There is a main Batman theme. It's much more tongue in cheek and much more strident than Elfman's, but of course it is, because you look at the films that Golden Thor was scoring, you know, for, for Schumacher. Of course it was going to be much more strident, pompous, almost in a way, po faced, but in a way that actually works. And you've got that main Batman theme and it grounds the two films that Golden Thor did. There is a thematic That's, identity to it. It's the uh, it's the it's very different, isn't it, from the brooding sort of for the Alphabet. It's two very different but again, you can see the join. You know, you can see where where they where it evolves from that in some ways. Just amps it up. You know, makes it much more. It's the classic thing from these two films where it ends with them running into camera, doesn't it? With shadow, when you've got awesome. that with the yeah, spotlight in the background. Yeah, with and that then, music blaring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it's, they add in because obviously this film brings Robin in for the first time, and then in Batman and Robin it brings in Batgirl. So it, it's the three of them then at the end, isn't it? But it runs in, and then you see the bat. It's so good. It's and then it has this ramped up to the max. And it, it just, it, it's a really signature key theme, isn't it? That's, like you say, it sort of underpins all the other things, all the other wacky shit that he, because he does, because it is wacky, like some of the <laughs> stuff he does. It's like being in a circus, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. But because the films are like a circus, aren't they? The Joel Schumacher yeah. films are kind of burlesque. I mean, I know Tim Burton had that, albeit much more like brooding, sort of pulpy, but Joel Schumacher's films are kind of burlesque. They are, I mean, there's lots mm. of motifs of circuses in both of the films, which is weird, you know, but. I mean, I remember the opening. I, you know, you said that you saw Batman Forever in the cinema. I did as well, and mm. it was it was huge. Yeah. And I remember seeing massive that opening credit sequence in which you get the the actors' names appear, and then they swish past. They they kind of yeah. doubled up and they swish past. And this music with those very signature Golden Thor like trilling horns, and you know the low kind of almost primal like woodwind arrangements i mean when the bat when the batman logo comes up at the end of that opening credit sequence and you get those very discordant like horn arrangements which are very very reminiscent of alien 3 and uh, interview of the vampire yeah one of gold's it's so exciting and you think that yeah, it is. is it's a batman theme that's what that's what it's supposed to do <laughs> it's so good yeah and then he, he just he, he really just sit there's so many things in this that are that combine Action and suspense and just sheer ridiculousness and camp, you know, uh, and things like... It's like someone juggling, you know. It's just, it's so inventive, you know, and then little horns going... It's just... <laughs> it shouldn't work, but it totally you, I, does. I want you to and, do a radio play of, of Batman with, with doing that. In, in the background. It would be amazing. Well, um, I, I frequently get told off gently by my wife when she will bang me upstairs and I'm listening to something. I mean, it's, been, it's been happening with J.K. and Batman theme, but I'll, I'll be humming things like very loudly. I mean, you, I'm sure you do this when you're on yeah, your own. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. the equivalent of dancing while no one's watching. This is humming yeah. soundtracks while no one's watching. And I'm there going, hmm. And she'll text me and go, can you stop humming? <laughs> I can hear it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, because to me, it sounds brilliant. In my head, I'm, I'm, I'm Elliot Goldenthal or I'm Michael Giacchino. To her, yeah. all she hears is, <laughs> you know, so I get, I get where she's coming from. But it is, it is brilliant. It is brilliant. You know, it's, it's, it's great. And I think 
lot of these Goldenthal scores, it's interesting, compositionally, they owe more to what Nelson Riddle did, albeit with, you know, much more aggressively kind of modernistic structures. I mean, you know, Goldenthal very often... He, I think he describes it as composition by collision, whereby it sounds like there are lots of different harmonics and instrumentals and textures all kind of pounding into each other. And on the surface, it might sound like a big blaring discordant mess, but it's actually incredibly well thought through. And certainly you listen to some of the the jazz and big brass arrangements in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which it, it's obviously campy and pantomime but it's incredibly compositionally complex what's actually going on with it so you take that nelson riddle principle and you kind of take it to the nth degree and you make it much more sophisticated um i think these scores are great batman forever particularly batman and robin lifts most of the quite a lot of material for batman forever so forever is the best score but it's brilliant it's very similar, isn't it, really, Batman and Robin? You know, it tweaks yeah. things slightly for some of the themes. You know, there's a bit more of a seductive kind of jazzy, maybe slightly jazzy thing for um, Poison Ivy, you know. That kind of, and so it's slightly different, but it, it, it they're, but they're very similar films, really. I mean, Batman and Robin isn't as good, you know, um, even though part of me, part of me, if I'm honest, right, loves that film. <laughs> there's a little <laughs> part of me that could just... You know, there's a somewhere on YouTube. I remember there's a supercut of all of Arnie's one-liners in that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. All, all of his all of his ice puns. It's, like it's so funny. You know, is, is that um, when he's so basically it, just going uh, ice cold, freeze yeah, cold, yeah, ice yeah. freeze? <laughs> basically, yeah. yeah. What killed the dinosaurs? The ice age. Cool <laughs> <Pool> party. <laughs> yeah, and then he shoots someone. You know, it's it is. There's, it's very telling that no one has dared to have another crack at Mister Freeze like on the big screen since then. He's left such a long shadow. But you know, it is it is objectively a, a, a dodgy movie. But like the the score, yeah, the score is good, you know, but it, it is forever really that sets the stall out for Golden Thor. That's that's the masterpiece. And I would go as far as to call it a masterpiece. I I really do think that with this. I think it's I think it's a phenomenal piece of work and it's it, it in some ways it might be the most enjoyable Batman Batman score actually, but it's because it is so overblown and silly and ridiculous and clever as well, you know, and, and skillful. But you know, there's lo- the great thing about Batman as a character is that he's very versatile, you know, and as we and we see that in the movies, but so are the scores, you know. So the, I always I also remember with this, it was it was not just the the score, it was also the the, the songs on the soundtrack, you know. So you had the the classic Seal "Kiss from a Rose," which I loved that. I still love that tune, to be fair. And that 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 played. And then the um, the U two "Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me" as well, which they, and they played over the crowd. I mean, they're so nineties, Sean. So nineties, yeah. but I love what them. Was, I love them. To what bits, was the one on on Batman and Robin? Was it Smashing Pumpkins that was on Batman that was, and Robin? That Vinnie was Corgan? the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the the, the end is the beginning is uh, is the end by the Smashing Pumpkins. That was, and and then they had um, R, oh, he's, he's persona non grata now, really, isn't he? R. Kelly, but uh, yeah. they had his uh, really sort of soppy Gotham City. Do you remember yeah. that? <laughs> yes, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. fucking shit. I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, to think that as Batman came into the nineties, the idea of the needle dropped soundtrack that basically favoured the songs that became more of the commercial problem. Actually, mind you, that that was already in play with Prince, I suppose, wasn't it, back in nineteen eighty nine? That that mm. marketing tactic became much more aggressive 
in the 90s and I think the two Joel Schumacher movies were probably better known for the songs than the score which is wrong you know the score Elliot Goldenthal's scores get the essence of the movies but I think that just sums up the times in which they were released really but I mean one thing I did want to say about Batman Forever which is pertinent is the theme that Goldenthal comes up with for um, Jim Carrey's Riddler um, Edward Nygma um, yeah, because yeah. obviously we're presented with a new Riddler in in the new Batman movie, new theme composed by Michael Giacchino. So the comparison makes sense. But the use of the very kitsch Bernard Herrmann-esque theremin that's li- really taken to tongue-in-cheek degrees. I mean, it's, it's a cliche. It might be a cliched idea in principle, but Golden Thor does it with a really knowing sense of humour. And I love Jim Carrey's performance of the Riddler. I still do. I think it's really funny. And Jim Carrey was huge in the 90s. People don't really remember that anymore. He was everywhere. and Yeah, he's you know, huge it, at this time. It, yeah, it, it was a big deal, wasn't it? When he was the Riddler, it was a big deal. And, you know, the fact that the music is able to bottle his essence, that outsized, campy, ridiculous essence. I think, you know, it must be a hard ask for a composer to musically keep up with Jim Carrey with all his like, rubber face mugging. <laughs> but I think Elliot Goldenthal did it. It's really, really yeah, well. He did. Because this was this was him at his most rubber faced and oh Batman, you know that kind of thing. And yeah. he was really, so it was <laughs> it, 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 yeah it was at the height of these things, you know. So yeah, he did. He, it's magnificent stuff. It really is, and it, it's it's very different from a lot of what else we get. But yeah, it, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So we're going to move out of the the 90s and Batman because Batman and Robin doesn't spawn the the third Joel Schumacher movie which was you know long rumoured and I think the the plan was to bring the Scarecrow in I think at at that point and there was long rumours about Batman Triumphant I think it was going to be called which was the next one but it never happened but before we skip forward to 2005 for a very very different era of Batman um, we're going to have a short break in which we're going to play you uh, another track from Michael Giacchino's The Batman This is a different register about halfway through the album. This is Highway to the Anger Zone. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back shortly, but uh, enjoy.
back and we're moving into the 21st century now as Batman is reinvented for Batman Begins by Christopher Nolan and we kick off the Dark Knight trilogy which is uh, where Batman comes back down to earth massively with um, scores by a combined duo who are very different and and I know I know we've we've talked about these scores before Sean I'm sure in this podcast probably when we did um some superhero specials we did one about Avengers Endgame a few years ago and we may well have covered superhero scores um there but James Newton Howard and Hans Zimmer combined forces for Batman Begins uh and The Dark Knight in 2007 so they this is this is massively different stuff you know, isn't it? I mean, the films are hugely different. The films take a big cue from a more serious, grounded origin story take of Batman in a way we've never seen before. You know, we, we've had the origin story in the previous incarnations, you know, particularly the 1989 movie. Uh, and we get it again here, but we get we get the origin of Bat, you know, Batman before he puts on the suit and all the training we get and this kind of thing. And it, and it's, it, it, it allow, it, the scores take away the camp, they strip away the um, the silliness, they remove all of that and they go back down to quite a brooding and haunting register, I think, before they build back up into a really theatrical, you know, climax. Certainly for Batman Begins, which I think has a is a bit more of a standard in many ways Batman movie than The Dark Knight turns out to be, which very much changes the register. Uh, and we will come to The Dark Knight Rises a little bit later on, but that's solely Hans Zimmer, so that's slightly different. But for these collaborations, Sean, I mean, where do they stand with with you in terms of how how well does it work as a collaboration over these two films? And do these match what we've had before in terms of Batman? Well, firstly, can I say I really, I really appreciate the way you've structured this in as much as you've got two films as a collaboration, then you've got the solo Zimmer project the dark knight rises on its own i really appreciate it because that helps basically split up my argument as to what i think about the scores for these nolan films i think that really i'm i'm very very divided on the musical philosophy for these movies i know i've been very down on the on these scores whenever we've talked about superhero movies in the past i i have to be honest i think that there are individual highlights mostly in the first two scores for this trilogy which is why i'm glad you've put the first two of these scores together mostly because of james newton howard i think james newton howard's influence his humanizing influence on the first two of these scores is really really important i know a lot of people because Hans Zimmer is the big name, he's the big kind of commercial brand, you know, he's the one with the remote control production studio, he's the rock star, effectively. He's like the rock star of film music. Wherever Hans Zimmer goes, he sucks up a lot of oxygen and a lot of attention because Hans Zimmer is a genius. Let me say that outright. What Hans Zimmer has done for film music since the 80s is remarkable. And what he's done to get young film composers the, the pedestal and the platform they deserve is brilliant. I'm not denying that at all, but... The reason why the first two of these scores work, Batman Begins the Dark Knight, and I don't think either of the scores is particularly brilliant, but the, the, the James Newton Howard's influence is really, really important here because in Batman Begins, James Newton Howard did the material for... As I understand it, James Newton Howard did the material for Bruce Wayne. Hans Zimmer did the blusterous, bombastic, you know, very, very derivative Hans Zimmer action music that we'd heard before in like Crimson Tide and The Peacemaker and everything like that. All that stuff is pretty standard. But James Newton Howard is the one who makes you care about Bruce Wayne 
in Batman Begins with those beautiful string elegies. There's there's um, the tracks in Batman Begins are named after um, the Latin species of bat. I think there's a track called yeah. Eptesicus by James Eptes- Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is beautiful, really gentle and really tender. And it really gets to the essence of Bruce Wayne being a tragic figure. You know, he's a, he's a young kid who lost his parents and he harnesses that, that anger and that rage and becomes Batman, which is what the Christopher Nolan movies explore so well. Then in The Dark Knight, James Newton Howard was tasked with composing the theme for Harvey Dent, the tragic Harvey Dent character who becomes Two-Face, you know, brilliantly played by Aaron Eckhart, really underrated performance by Aaron Eckhart, got completely swamped by Heath Ledger's Joker, perhaps unsurprisingly. Um, and James Newton Howard does that theme, that very noble, warm theme, initially carried on the trumpets for Harvey Dent, which steadily darkens as we realize what harvey dent's destiny is as dictated by the joker um which is really disturbing and really well articulated in the film that that then culminates in the track watch the world burn which has got that that really chilling like churning double bass cello lament that's not Hans zimmer that's james newton howard a lot of people think that think that all of these all of these first two scores are Hans zimmer they're not and i think i just want to set the record straight here all of the good material in the first two scores is pretty much James Newton Howard. You know, there are elements of Hans Zimmer's stuff that are good. I mean, the Molossus track on Batman Begins is an absolute belter. It's a brilliant action cue. And that almost becomes the unofficial unofficial action cue of the trilogy. That's reprised across all three films. That's initially used in the Tumblr chase. I mean, you've also got the, not so much a theme, but the impression for the Joker, that anarchistic, like, droning impression which is you know functionally effective if deeply unpleasant to listen to but then that's the idea because it's a deeply unpleasant character i just you know i don't my main problem with the score is for all the highlights largely from newton howard i don't like the philosophy of what they did because what they basically did with it and again one should say this is not just the composers this is the composers kowtowing to what the director christopher nolan wanted which is that they went too far the other way. In Hans Zimmer's words, they didn't want a jolly, happy Danny Elfman-style theme, which really does not endear me. If that if that was the idea, and I quote Hans Zimmer there from the film tracks, uh, Christian Clemenson review, I should say. I haven't plucked that out of the air. That That's a quote from the film tracks review. The idea that Danny Elfman's music was bouncy and jolly, well, that's not true for a start. I mean, it's not jolly. But, you know, the idea that even if it was that, that, oh, the only aesthetically honest way that we can do it is to go completely the other way and drain any sense of personality out of the score altogether and make it unbelievably not so much dark as gray you know it's gray it's all thematically monothematic basically monothematic relentlessly gloomy kind of again that the tone of it is very you know dark knight and the hands in his material in batman begins the dark knight it's it's not original i mean it sounds like every other hands in action score thriller score that had come before and i it it bothers me that the idea that you know the anti-heroic theme as Hans Zimmer called it two notes to represent batman i mean batman is an incredibly complex character you can't convey batman with two notes and i don't think you should try and i really don't i don't like that overarching philosophy that goes from batman begins through the dark knight into the dark knight rises it almost seems like an insult to the character to me and i've got real issues with that and you know and then Hans Zimmer emboldened by the success of of each individual movie as they came out then 
started to do a lot of press interviews saying, you know, these scores are incredibly innovative. You know, it's really, really innovative the way we've reimagined Batman. You know, it's anti-heroic. It's two notes. It's not Danny Elfman. It's like, it's, it's not innovative at all. It's just, I think it's just tedious, a lot of it. And much as I understand the philosophy of it, I don't entirely agree with it. I don't really agree with it at all. And I just think this this was not the way to do Batman in these movies. I understand them making it dark. And this is what Michael Giacchino does so brilliantly in the score for the Batman. Michael Giacchino's score for the Batman is relentlessly dark, but it's interesting. <laughs> there are ideas in it. This this is this is dark without without that human interest. I think personally, no, it's it's very it's very interesting. A very interesting take. I think I I definitely think Batman Begins has, like you say, more humanity than the Dark Knight, which it is. It is. I do find the score compelling. I always have. You know, I, th- I think there is some great stuff going on in there. I think there is a recognisable Bat theme too. It's not as memorable as previous ones or even ones to come, you know, particularly with Gi- Giacchino. But you have the, um, uh, I suppose the best way to describe it is the... Well, that's the Molossus theme. No, that's that's like the action theme, I suppose, really. If it is a theme, I suppose, uh, I suppose uh, it is. Uh, really. it, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose it's the Batman theme, but it's less. I suppose it's less defined in some ways, isn't it? It's not specifically. It's used in different places, I guess. It's as more well. of a contextual I, it, it, cue. It's it's a contextual thing, and yeah. it's a very good contextual thing. But on layered on top of that, what you've just hung there is the Batman theme. Dum dum. That's the signifier for the Batman. It's like that's not yeah. good enough for Batman. Yeah. You need more than that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like mm. with me. No, I get that. I get that, and I, I think I think that's that's the difference here with these. That th- it's not as powerfully defined. I suppose if there is one element that, and I, I'll, I'll admit, I am a bit of I am a bit of a Christopher Nolan fanboy. You know, I I I admit that. You know, he's very divisive. He's one of the most divisive filmmakers out there these days. But I do love most of what he does. I don't think there's been. Oh, a film I, I do as well. Really. I think he's a brilliant director. Um, he's a fantastic director. Yeah. Yeah. I I do I think I think he's great, but I, the scores that he employs for a lot of his films can be a bit hit and miss, and they can be they can, they again they really divide people. And I think I think there's with this he he almost doesn't always want. I think maybe it's because his films are so powerfully ev- evocative in terms of sound design quite often as well. It's like he doesn't always want a melodic piece yeah, in the same yeah. way, you know. And he, and he wants something that's going to fit more with, and you know, one of the criticisms for a lot of his films is that there's a lot of boom and that kind of thing. Yeah. Different to say Michael Bay's in the employment of that, which is just, you know, mindless droning noise. <laughs> this is where, you know, Nolan wants to make sound very important to his films. And I get that. But it means when you have a character like Batman, who is so iconic and, and comes by the time you get, by the time Christian Bale gets to him as Batman, he comes with such a, a weight of legacy, not just you know uh, in in terms of the character, but in musical terms that goes back forty odd years, you know. So, I think if anyone goes into these films looking for a melody, they're going to be slightly disappointed in in, in comparison to what we've talked about previously in previous eras, definitely. Yeah, and I should stress, I'm not anti-Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is a genius. He, he is a really important figure in film music, and there is a reason why, because he has done extraordinary work in terms of changing the language of film music and kind of bringing that electronica into the orchestral realm. The problem is, that I think, 
at around the time of Batman Begins, that approach curdled and it fell into self-parody because we'd heard it so many times up to that point. And the idea of that, there is a pre-packaged Hans Zimmer sound that producers and directors kind of latch onto and they basically copy and paste it. They cut and shut it kind of ad infinitum with, with you know, minor like harmonic and tonal variations maybe every now and then. It's like... So what you end up with is hands in material that sounds like all the other hands in reaction material. And yeah, I do agree, totally agree with you. I think you hit the nail on the head there where Christopher Nolan doesn't like creating distinctions between music and sound. He likes them all to be of a piece. And yeah, that can work. I mean, in something like Dunkirk, which is one of my favourite films of his, the score by Hans Zimmer is deeply uncomfortable and not really designed to be listened <laughs> to in solo, but it works like gangbusters in the film because you can't yeah. tell the divide between the mechanisation of war and the mechanisation of music, that works brilliantly. That approach works really well. I don't mm, think mm. that's what's needed in Batman. Batman is a completely different register. It's a, su- it's, it's a superhero score, albeit, you know, it's superhero story, albeit reauthored as a crime saga by Nolan as something more realistic. I get that. But it is still fundamentally a pulpy comic book source. And I think you owe... The music owes itself to that. The music owes itself to that outsized, fairly outlandish origins. However you do that is the question. I'm not saying the score can't be dark. Danny Elfman's scores were dark, you know, but they were dark, but they had ideas and they had a strong thematic sense of what the character is. And I just think that the idea of representing Batman as kind of like nebulous, amorphous blobs of sound that vary in pitch and tone without really communicating a lot of intrinsic understanding. That's not the way to tackle this kind of character for me. But I will say, to play devil's advocate, there are brilliant musical moments throughout all of these movies, but they come spasmodically. They're very erratic, like the bit... I mean, that extraordinary opening sequence of The Dark Knight, I remember watching that in a little cinema in America, and you got the push in towards the glass-fronted building, and it's like, oh... The joke, we're in. There's no opening titles, we're in. The Joker's plan is already taking place. He's going to rob the bank. And this is before you even see him. And you've got what almost like an antecedent to the Dunkirk score. You've got that that ticking sound. And then when the two hoodlums in the clown masks fire the piton out of the window and they swing across the other building and it syncs up with that drum beat as you go to the overhead shot, it's just, it's electrifying. And I remember Mm. the audience for that film being absolutely riveted by that film. There are brilliant, brilliantly spotted moments, but they are moments. They are only brilliant moments. And those moments are unfortunately drowned out by a lot of soupy, overbearing, noisy, overly processed musical moments. And I have to say, badly mixed dialogue as well. I mean, this is the thing of Chris Nolan. He mixes his dialogue really weirdly, which does not, help when you've got Hans Zimmer literally going off the deep end um, which we'll, I imagine we'll get more to with The Dark Knight Rises, right? <laughs> it's just like, well, just... well that, I was, that's what I was going to say. So he goes solo yeah. for The Dark Knight Rises and then he teams yeah. up later with Junkie XL on Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice. So with The Dark Knight Rises, I mean, I remember and we've probably talked about this before, but I remember when they, they teased it in I think it was the the Christmas before it came out, so it's 2011 or something. And they put the first, they put the opening bit with Bane and the and the plane uh, in the cinemas as like a, a, a tease. And <laughs> yeah, it, I remember you could this. Hear it. it was, <laughs> you know, I mean, the joke is always that he's like, oh, but it really was like that. 
in that pre-released <laughs> thing. And he had to go away and remix it because everyone went, what? What's he saying? What's he talking like, about? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's he on about? It's just like... <laughs> and then, obviously, I, I, I've never forgiven you. I have never forgiven you. because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so I, sorry I've about always, this. You know, I, know, I know what you're going to say. You know what's coming. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. But I've always genuinely loved this. I mean, I love this film anyway, right? I'm unashamedly love in love with The Dark Knight Rises, and I always have been. And I love the score, actually. I do. But I've never forgiven you for, for putting two <laughs> words in my head. Fishy pasta. And because what he does... <laughs> What he does in this is that he has he has the theme the oh, the, the, the um the theme for Bane the theme for the oh, Razal Gore the League of Assassins which is well fishy pasta 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 fishy pasta pasta it's not that but you <laughs> once you said that to me <laughs> I've never forgotten it ever so every time I watch this film all I hear in my head is fishy pasta pasta pasta, fishy, pasta. <laughs> So I'm so sorry. I Mandela, I, mean, he... I Mandela affected you like before it was even <laughs> trendy. I'm really sorry. You did. Uh, you absolutely did. <laughs> but it, it's 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 funny because it's true at the end of the day. And and I think I think it, it, with this it is. I mean, what it, it's sort of built. I mean, this is. I think this is way 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 better than anything he does on Dawn of Justice. Hundred percent. Oh, oh I think God, there is yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely stuff yeah. in this. Yeah. That's really good. But it, I suppose it. It allow without James Newton Howard. What's the difference for you in terms of what he does solely with Nolan's Batman? Oh, it's just an it's it's an overbearing mess. I mean, it it really shows how important James Newton Howard was to this collaboration. And Newton Howard stepped aside because in the interim between the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, Zimmer and Nolan had cemented their partnership with Inception, and apparently Newton Howard felt like he was going to become a bit of a third wheel. And although they wanted him back, Newton Howard willingly stepped away from it. Big mistake, big mistake, because this is the worst of the three scores. It's the worst of the three movies. I mean, the the I mean, the music, the movie is so self-serious that it becomes ridiculous. And the music really doesn't help that. When you've got the Deshi Basra fishy pasta chant going on, which was, <laughs> you know, a crowd, it was crowdsourced. It was a crowdsourced chant. Zimmer put out, um, you know, a communique online. Can you... Can you communicate? Can you chant fishy pasta? Sorry, Deshi Basra online. Um, and he basically mixed it together. I mean, it's an interesting idea, but it, it doesn't, you know, when, I mean, I'm sorry that I Mandela affected you and I'm sorry that I've probably wrecked the movie to an extent. <laughs> it's fine. But no, the, no, no, you haven't. You haven't. Don't the, worry. It's, yeah, the, 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 the combination of that stupidly overcranked Hans Zimmer music in combination with the unbelievably po-faced nature of the movie really for me makes the movie very laughable i mean it really doesn't help when you've got a um you know um the bad the bad so you came back to die with your city and it's like you've got and no i came back to stab you and it's like you've got that battle of the ridiculous voices so you've got two characters with really stupid voices in combination with the fishy pasta pasta fishy fishy pasta pasta i'm sorry it's just it's ludicrous and it becomes more <laughs> ludicrous the more seriously the film takes itself so it's a classic example of a director who doesn't rein in his composer a director who doesn't mix his dialogue properly starting from that imax preview that you quite right said it was incomprehensible what you get is a really aggressively soupy kind of oral mixture 
that doesn't do the thing. It doesn't delineate between the dialogue and the sound effects. It doesn't delineate between sound effects and music. You've got music that runs wildly out of control while still having that fundamental problem across all three of these movies, which is it's monothematic. There is no variation, very little variation in tone or pitch between the various tracks. So you've basically got this thunderous bluster all the way through. You compare that to what Danny Elfman did, in which Danny Elfman you know, changed meter and tone and pitch and signature and there were different themes in it. You know, this is just, I mean, I think that the the, the the brilliant film music critic James Southall said it best when this isn't this isn't so much shades of grey as shades of black. It all sounds the same, but every now and then the tempo will be pitched up or the volume will be pitched up. And it's a real pity because, you know, this should have rounded off everything in a risingly it's a really interesting manner musically and dramatically as far as the film is concerned and i don't think it does it i just i, I really does i know i sound really down on that but that's what's where it is no it's okay it, it's okay you're not going to be on your own i mean <laughs> he, he he then carries it he carries batman through into the batman and superman movie which is a very different film obviously it's not the dark knight trilogy it's part of this burgeoning attempt to create a dceu marvel style which collapses on its ass almost immediately because they try and do it <laughs> back backwards. You know, they try and essentially create an Avengers and then do the rest of it. Which you know, I, I, it, and it's it's almost it's almost a false equivalence to try and and unfair in a way to try and suggest that you know they can't do what Marvel did. They can, they could absolutely do that. I think one day, in some way, but the the, the whole approach for this was was trying to replicate something that very organically came from out, out of what marvel did and yeah with some planning but also a bit of luck a bit of fortune changing trends i mean there's a million reasons why the mcu has become what it is and you can't nobody nobody like with any successful franchise in a way nobody could have planned it the way it went ever you know it's always the way with these things but with this they very very specifically try and wedge batman and superman together and, you know, Henry Cavill's Superman, Ben Affleck's Batman for the first time. And I've always maintained that Ben Affleck's actually a pretty decent Batman, you know, and a very good Bruce Wayne, I would say. And I, and I feel a bit sorry for him. And I'm hopeful he gets a chance to really knock people's socks off a bit when he's in the Flash movie, which is coming later this year. Um, because I do think he deserves, but he's always deserved a bit better than he was, he's been given. But... Does Zimmer here works with Junkie XL, who's again, you know, got a very specific, similar, I guess, in some ways, kind of kind of approach. Tom Holkenborg, you know, did great work, I think, on Mad Max Fury Road, even though it's not necessarily the most listenable stuff in the world. I think I think he did. That's a great film anyway, but I think he did really good stuff on that. But when you take characters like again, when you take characters like Batman and Superman, who have such rich melodies behind them and you're trying to do. Something a lot. More. I mean, literally, the, the the Batman versus Superman soundtrack, Sean, opens with dun 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 dun, yeah. and and, like, and then you can hear my reaction. <laughs> if that, if like, that doesn't set the register down, the tone. Here we go. Here we go. I don't know what does. <laughs> so I, I think it it what 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 where do, does. Is this? Is this? <laughs> that, that's my reaction. Like, who? What? Where? Why? Like, what is this? Like, is this, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. Do, is this a natural evolution of what Zimmer had done on the bat, on the Dark Knight trilogy, or is it 
Is it something that feels particularly linked to the way Zack Snyder directs? What is what even is this? <laughs> I suppose you know from your perspective. I mean, to suggest that there is any kind of evolution is to do this score a favor that it doesn't deserve. I mean, you know, there's no there's no evolution. There's no dramatic evolution. There's no evolution in terms of any kind of compositional complexity there are interesting elements i mean the one out the one track that people do cite is beautiful lie isn't it which is actually mm. i think that's this score isn't it i'm pretty sure that that's that's this score. yeah that's the that's uh, the first one it begins with that yeah. warm thing but then it, yeah it slows down and it goes yeah it's okay it's not too bad it's it's very 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 post inception which itself inception was post mm. every other hand zimmer score before that so this is kind of like you know, a rip-off of a rip-off of a rip-off. It's rip-off Inception, basically, is what it is. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the more one has a problem with it, depends on the more one is familiar with Zimmer's work, because I am an advocate of Hans Zimmer, but I'm not an advocate of this cut-and-shut, cut-and-paste Hans Zimmer sound. And I think that's not necessarily Zimmer's fault. He himself said that in the wake of Inception, he was sick and tired of that warm, like horn, processed horn sound. He said he was fed up of everyone using it. So Zimmer is himself subject to the conditions of an industry that require, that is very fickle and often requires very lazy, facile cut and paste approach to film music this isn't in this is not really zimmer's fault this is the this is an industrial point here and i think that the directors and the producers and the franchise owners are the ones that perpetuate this it's like hands can we have a a batman versus superman dawn of justice score that sounds like inception well that already sounded like that already sounded like the dark knight yeah but that already sounded like batman begins yeah but that already sounded like crimson tide the fact that this has come all the way down the chain and one sound has basically been cranked up and organically, electronically twisted and processed and industrialised and sort of turned inside out. You know, as someone who is an advocate for Hans Zimmer, despite all the controversy that he causes, it's really depressing to hear a director like Zack Snyder, who, you know, just advocates this wall of sound that just, it's noisy, but without any kind of interest whatsoever. I mean, you know, on... It's really disappointing. And then you throw Junkie XL into it, who's also not a composer known for his subtlety. It's just, yeah, it's it's very disappointing. I mean, the whole idea of, you know, a director like Zack Snyder, who I don't think is particularly talented in the first place, if I'm being honest, um, who who just advocates this kind of Sturm und Drang, kind of quasi noisy overbearing approach you know where are the themes where is the compositional insight where is the instrumental nuance where is all the stuff that Shirley Walker and Danny Elfman and Elliot Goldenthal and you know that were doing and now that Michael Cicchino is Michael Cicchino has thankfully picked up that mantle thank god for that and we're obviously getting on to that right but yeah I, I can't confess to being a fan of the Batman v Superman score well it, it's interesting because he, he originally wanted Junkie XL to do the Batman stuff in this. And then it ended up, he wanted to do the Superman stuff, which obviously he'd done Man of Steel, which even though it's not a patch on John Williams, you know, what is, it was fine. I, I quite liked what he, his Superman stuff, actually. It was okay. It was, that Superman theme was all right. Um, but in the end, they did it as a collaboration. But he struggled with this. He's, he went on record and saying, Zimmer saying he struggled with finding a new angle to approach this. Having done three Batman scores before, and, tr- and not repeating anything the sa- similar. Um, and then there was a false 
I think attribution or something he walked back about saying he wasn't going to do any more superhero films after this. Um, he, but, he did say that though. He did say that, and then and then uh, he did. He and did then he walk walked it back. back. Yeah, with that yeah. with X Men Dark Phoenix. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but uh, which again wasn't super memorable. But then I, you know, it's not to say. I mean, you know, he'd be daft not to do that to to because they are dominant. You know, he'd be absolutely daft to shoot himself in the foot and say, "I'm not doing any superhero films," because you know. In in the uh, in the post apocalyptic landscape that we're going to live in, it'll just be all wall to wall superhero films probably being made. <laughs> um, so he's a bit daft, but um, but no, he, he he obviously struggled with this a little bit, and you can tell. I mean, it's I, I just think there's fatigue here in terms of there's no melody, there's no real sense of themes, there's nothing to distinguish this score. There's nothing I can remember from it, you know, going through. And and granted, I'm not a big fan of the film in any way, so it's not one that I rewatch. It's not one that particularly tra- I'm particularly fine you know, a, a treasured thing. But it's, even so, there's loads of films I think are terrible and I can remember the scores and, and, there are, and there are melodies and themes that leap out at me and stay with me. Tron Legacy, for instance, is a great example. Yeah, you know, yeah. crap movie, but that score is something else. It's Magnificent score, so, yeah. 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 So, you know, but this isn't it. This isn't it at all. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Uh, and, and anyone would have been left thinking at this point, wow, we're uh, we're in a bit of a doldrums, bat bat doldrums at this point, and then, as if from heaven, comes down <laughs> Michael Giacchino. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so let's 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 get into this then. That's what this is what people are here for. Let's talk about the Batman, the new film. Matt Reeves directing it, old pal of Giacchino. And when we when we saw uh, when we went to Giacchino's fiftieth birthday um, celebration thing at the Royal Albert Hall a few years ago. Matt Reeves was there, wasn't he? He came on stage with JJ Abrams. They're all pals since they were kids. And I think and I've, I've always been, I've always been a big fan of Matt Reeves. I've always liked what he did. You know, he's, he, he, his first real cinematic thing was Cloverfield. He then did two, two of the um, Planet of the Apes movies, which were all, which were pretty good. And so I've been looking forward to his take on the Batman for a while. I think, I think he's quite a talented guy. And this, I mean, I, I genuinely loved this. I thought I thought this was a great movie. I really, really did. I had I I thought it all came together so well. It really did play off a lot of what we'd seen before in terms of how Batman is presented, while giving us something slightly new, a bit a bit more of a detective Batman in some places, particularly in the first half. A real sense of the crime epic blended with the gothic noir. Blended with a Gotham that has never been grimier and murkier and wetter and uglier, you know. Thank God they filmed it in Scotland. Let's put it that way. Um, but uh, well, Liverpool sorry. as well. Liverpool as well. Yeah, uh, Liverpool. Sorry to all our Scottish and Scouse listeners. Yeah. It was nice yeah. knowing you. But yeah, I, I just think the you know the production design is fantastic. Great cast. Exciting story. Yes, it's long. It probably could have done with half an hour shearing off it. Realistically, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend otherwise. But I was thrilled. I was thrilled. I was buzzing. I came out of the cinema buzzing in a way. The, the only the only equivalent film, I think, of recent times, I came out of the film thinking, I loved that. I had a great time with that. It was Shang-Chi. And this was a different feeling. This was a genuine, I cannot wait to go back into there and see that again. And I and I have to say, I I think the score is a major reason why that's the case. I think I think it can't be underestimated just how well this work from Giacchino who you know I do think he's the best outside of you know someone like John Williams who's still going strong I do think he is the best working composer out there these days or one of the best 
you know, I, I think he, he very, very little of what he does isn't excellent, if not fantastic. And I would say this is fantastic. I really do think this might go down as one of his greatest scores of all time, potentially, because I just think he's nailed, he's nailed a Batman melody that is perhaps certainly the, the, the most memorable Batman melody since Golden, what Golden Thor did, and maybe even more so. You know, he's created something here that I think has a, I mean, there was a, somebody on Twitter had talked about how um, he he knew after he'd seen the film that this was gonna this was gonna be a big hit because he heard a guy humming the theme when he was having a wee in the cinema <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> doing the dum da da dum dum dum, yeah. you know. And and I think you know that that's a potential testament. I really think this is a fantastic piece of work, and I've listened to it a few times independently now. We've played a couple of these on the podcast. We played the the, the first theme that was released, The Batman, which is a sort of a, a partly an encapsulation of that main theme. We played that a couple of episodes ago, but there's so much more to this score. So I'm a huge fan. I'm going to put my stall out there now. Loved the film. I think it's one of the best Batman movies. Loved the score. I think it's one of the best Batman scores. Bring me back down to earth, Sean. <laughs> well, <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> only partly, only only partly, because while I'm more divided on the film, I think the film is middling at best. I think the score is magisterial. The score is brilliant. Oh, good. It, it's it's good, good, good. Easily one of the best things about the film. It's it's really terrific. Yeah, I agree with that. I do agree with that. It, it, isn't it great? I mean, it, not only as a standalone listen, and it, and it's long and it's dark and it's toiling, but it yeah. proves that dark scores don't need to be boring. This is the key Absolutely. thing. You know, you don't need to put things in a major key to make them listenable. Most, if not all, of this score is in is in a minor key. I mean, at least probably seventy five percent of it is probably in a minor key. And it and it's really interesting. And it, what it felt like to me, listening to the score independently and listening to it in the context of the movie, and like we said earlier, it's really well mixed in the movie. It really stands out. It's really at the forefront of the same mix in a way that a superhero score is supposed to be. Not like, you know, and yeah, this almost seemed like to me in the application of its clear themes, in the application of the tone, in the way that it was orchestrated, in the way that it was mixed, this seemed like a riposte to the way the music was used in the Christopher Nolan movies. And I yeah. think the Nolan trilogy is amazing. As a, as a series of films, it's amazing. The individual films are kind of mixed. I think the only movie of the Nolan movies that gets it right is The Dark Knight. That's the only one that gets it 100% right. I think the other two films are mixed to, mixed to disappointing. But as a trilogy... The Nolan trilogy is amazing, but the use of the music in that Nolan trilogy for me is very disappointing. Michael Giacchino's collaboration with Matt Reeves on this seems like a direct riposte to that, which is that, look, this is how you do a turbulent, dark Batman score grounded in very, very clearly delineated ideas. There are at least three themes in this score. Um, you've got the A and B side of, of Batman's themes. You've got the dum, 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 yeah. the four notes, four notes for Batman. Mm. It shows Brilliant. that, in, you know, thematic simplicity is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I know I, I risk saying like a bit of a hypocrite there because I, cause I just said that, you know, this is only twice as much as what Hans Zimmer did for his alleged like Batman theme. But what Giacchino does with these four notes is infinitely more interesting than what Zimmer did with his in his Batman scores. The malleability of this is brilliant, whether it's introspective well, or violent or whatever. But I, I thought I thought a great example of how it immediately works is I mean I I, I think the the bit at the very beginning after you get the uh, the initial inciting incident where you introduce where they properly introduce Batman. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's fantastic the way he's introduced in this. They when, really when, when he steps the out of the shadows and beats, yeah. up the, beats up the guys, yeah. And you've got Patterson's of noir voiceover where he's saying, you know, that when they see the bat signal, it's not just a call, <laughs> yeah. it's a warning. It's, you know? it's, it's very sensitive. And, it's like, dark, the colour of my soul. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. right. <laughs> like, yeah. it, is, it is one step away from parody, I think. Yeah. I th- and I think people will parody it, definitely. Yeah. But it, it works, though, because then you see him, you know, you hear him coming up a staircase as there's these thugs beating up a guy in the, like a subway and you hear him coming up and the and the score he's building it's like dum 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 dum, dum, dum. And, it's, and it's it's brilliantly i mean I, I that is i was so excited and thrilled because the music was really amping up the idea that what the fuck are we going to see like yeah. he's terrifying he really is in that in that opening he's scary you know and it's a fantastic way to introduce batman as a force of nature and i think that's what this score does like and that's a good example of what you're talking about there i think yeah, so four four notes can can communicate the primal vengeance and rage of Robert Pattinson's uh, Pattinson's, I should say, uh, interpretation of um, <laughs> yeah, I've heard of, that a couple of, of times. Batman. Yeah, so it's al- it's almost like you know the principle in Jaws where it was like you know two notes can communicate the presence of the shark as a real yeah. threat. I mean, the idea of Giacchino mm. picking up that Williams principle as he has picked up the principles of Williams in many of his other scores, but the Batman theme is is broken up in the middle. There's a bridge section which is the string elegy for bruce wayne himself and this is deployed at at judicious moments throughout the movie but crucially what that means is between the 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 toiling four note theme you've got the humanizing element for batman you've got the strings which are compared to the register of the human voice so this score in its batman theme communicates the essence of batman as a human being which is really important really really important i think in addition to that overall Batman theme, you have very, very clearly defined things for the Riddler, which has got a really creepy soprano vocal glockenspiel theme, which again suits Paul Dano's kind of like child, like almost like childlike features. Because Paul Dano has got like a kind of like baby face look to him, which belies the disturbing nature of the character. Although admittedly, you know, for most of the film, he's masked up. But, you know, the way that that use of that childlike vocal plays into where the character comes from is brilliant. You only find that out later on in the film. And the way that Giacchino creates that Riddler theme, you hear that choral theme in several sequences, knowing that the Riddler is present somewhere, but you don't know where he is in the context of the scene, which is really scary and really, like, really well done. Really, again, almost like the Jaws theme as well. And then finally, you get what I think might be the best theme out of all of them, which is the theme for Catwoman, which is... That is great. Yeah, it's it is brilliant, great. isn't it? I mean, it's just, it's John Barry. It's John Barry doing yeah, Body Heat and the Specialist. But I don't say that as yeah. a bad thing. That's the highest compliment. I mean that as the highest yeah. compliment. It's just, it's, yeah, that's a fantastic it, comparison, I think, actually. I'd not thought of that. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's sultry, it's sexy, it's slinky, you know, it really gets Zoe Kravitz's portrayal of that character. I should say Zoe Kravitz is easily one of the best things about the film as well. She's really good. She is great. And, you know, it's devious and it's feline-esque. And it is very much picking up the tonal mantle of what Danny Elfman did for Michelle Pfeiffer's iteration of Catwoman. But that's not a bad thing because it shows, as with all Giacchino's scores, he shows an awareness of heritage 
what I really didn't like in in the scores for the Dark Knight trilogy, the Nolan trilogy, was there was an obnoxiousness. It's like, oh, we don't owe ourselves to any kind of Batman heritage. Well, you do because it's a Batman film and there are other Batman films that have come before. It's not like you don't have to lift the themes, but there needs to be a tonal and instrumental carryover in at least some of the tracks. But the there was an arrogant dismissal in those scores, which again doesn't endear them those scores to me particularly well. In this, Giacchino has got enough humility to doff the cap to all of the previous Batman composers, including, I had to say, Hans Zimmer. The escape from the jail sequence as he flies off the roof has got a quasi electronic rumbling element, which clearly owes, uh, doffs the cap's hands around. I think, well, that's very generous. And there's clear nods to, you know, that the, the, highway, to the a- highway to the anger zone is clearly the most golden thought part of it, the, the car chase bit. I think this is a great, great score. And it shows that even when a composer commits to working within a very, very moody, dark, somber palette, you can really work wonders with it. You, If you work hard enough on the themes and on the emotional temperature, you know, you can puncture through that darkness and you can come up with something consistently compelling, I think. And the score is two hours long on the album. It's not short. I mean, it's it held my interest all the way through. You've, you've made some great points there. And I think the the film does absolutely owe a debt to a lot of the previous people who've made Batman movies. You know, like, there are absolutely moments of this that are very Christopher Nolan-esque. There are moments of this that are Tim Burton-esque in some of the production design. I mean, particularly, like, the... uh, the the way I feel like the way the Wayne sort of manor slash headquarters is portrayed. You know, there's there's a... And and the fact that, 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 you know, Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne is very gothic. You know, he is... He has that floppy-haired... You know, tragedy about him. There is, there is, there is something about that. That he has that brooding nature to Bruce Wayne that's different from what we've seen, what we saw. You know, the 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 sort of hard bitten, slightly bitter older Batman that that um, Affleck portrayed, or Christopher Christian Bale's maybe slicker Batman, really that we saw in the Dark Knight films. In many ways, I don't know. I think I think this is this is a different kind of thing, and 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 so Reeves is brewing up a lot of these these previous th- films as well and then trying to create his own thing and, and and building in things from the comics and taking certain aspects you know uh, borrowing a little bit from from other uh crime pictures as well you know there's a little bit of of the godfather in here at points there's a little bit of that kind of mafia crime epic as well you know he's, he's sort of pulling from different things but and so is Giacchino absolutely I think you're right in this score that he's taking a little bit but it's definably Giacchino though at the same time you know he, he is one of those rare composers that you know a Giacchino score. It doesn't matter what he's doing. There is there are things in it that that are definably him, and and it's the same thing here. You know, even though this, I mean, what's remarkable is that he started writing a lot of this before the film was even finished. You know, he he was so excited to do it that the main theme just came out out, and and him and Reeves were, you know, in agreement that he just needs to write music, and then they'll 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 make it work. So and that again is something that. He's done. He's done that before, I believe, as well. You know, or he's he's written things really quickly that actually that connect. But there's just I th- I mean, he did great work on Spider Man No Way Home, which is a massively different superhero film. Recently, but I think there's something about this that is more consistent and and thrilling and straightforward in some ways 
I'm not saying it's not complicated because it is, but something that is very, I think will be very easy to appreciate and understand in terms of the context of this film and presumably another Batman film. I mean, I'm pretty sure it seems to be done pretty well in box office already. I'm pretty sure we're going to get another The Batman film. You know, I think this is the beginning of something new. And I, I imagine he'll come back and do another one. I'd be surprised if he didn't come back and score the second one. And, and you'll be able to build on a lot of these themes in that. But I think it's just there's just something about this, a bit like Elfman's best best score for, for best scores for the Batman that people are going to remember. I think this theme they're going to remember. I think this I think this 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 score could go down as one of those bat scores as long as it is, and as broiling and dark as some of it is, and a lot of it is. I don't know. I just think this is going to connect. This 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 could leap out a little bit. I think of of the film, uh, particularly this theme, and and that's really exciting. I think. Yeah, it, it show it shows that harmonic constructs don't need to be overly ornate or complicated in order to communicate the essence of of the movie i mean in that way it's it's halfway between the sophistication of elfman and the kind of obnoxious simplicity of zimmer you know it's right in the middle in terms of that you know it doesn't go too what far one way or the other but again the 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 ubiquitous nature of that batman theme and its malleability in every construct i mean you listen to that highway to the anger zone track in which you've got those you know, those very staggered, like deliberate, you know, contrapuntal statements. And, you know, I mean, contrapuntal is the word contrapuntal, meaning that within the course of one track, you have two or more melodic ideas circling around each other, complementing each other. Giacchino is brilliant at that. He's only become better and better at it. I mean, his musical signature is now so defined off countless, countless scores. I mean, I imagine a lot of people probably came became familiar with him through Lost, and you know there are lots of instrumental like rumbling pianos like tremolo strings in this batman score that reminded me immediately of lost i thought oh there's lost i can hear a little bit lost not saying that he's lifted the music but there are stylistic similarities to it i mean there are overtones of you know the planet of the apes scores that he did for, for matt reeves you know the tribal violent nature of that you know there are the darker moments from star trek and jupiter ascending and you know countless other you know, countless other scores. Michael Giacchino's musical signature is now really well established because there was a while where, you know, he when he was coming up, Michael Giacchino was very, very good at sounding like other people. You know, the the incredible sounded like John Barry. You know, Star Trek sounded like Alexander Courage. But I think Giacchino now has demonstrably got his own sound. And I think that's probably what you mean when you say that this Batman score demonstrably sounds like him. Like, whereas Spider-Man No Way Home was my favourite score of last year, it's it by intention it sounded like a lot of other people, but deliberately, I don't mean that as a criticism, this sounds quite comprehensively like Giacchino going dark. And I, I've not really been a fan of Giacchino's dark scores in the past. I mean, I thought Let Me In, which he scored for Matt Reeves, was a pretty dull score um but this is probably the best dark score that he's done certainly the most engaging and i think that the way the score moves around the needle drops of something in the way you know nevada which apparently was written into the script and you hear it in the film very very on the nose in the film i mean you know it's like batman's like I walk the city streets at night. Something in the way. It's like, mm, I wonder what that score, what that needle drop yeah, song yeah. could be communicating. What's the thing in the way? I mean, there are lots of quite cringy on the nose things like that, but you know, it it works in 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 the mix. I mean, those needle drops are relatively infrequent, I should say. But I mean, Robert Pattinson is basically, as far as I could see, it, playing it 
like Kurt Cobain or maybe Robert Smith. I mean, there's probably more than a little bit of Robert Smith. I mean, the hair is slightly less mad. But, you know, Giacchino's music <laughs> yeah. is just, you know, the, the score is, is brilliant. I I really, really like it. And I, you know, I'm really excited to see if Giacchino will come back. I think undoubtedly he will. If Matt Reeves comes back again, they are great collaborators. And I think for all my problems with the movie, and I have significant problems with the movie, namely that it doesn't nail the dichotomy between Batman and Bruce Wayne. It favours the Batman um, aspect over Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, I think, deliberately is ghost-like and doesn't have any definition, which I think is a dramatic decision, but doesn't pull me emotionally into the movie as a result. For all those in not inconsiderable problems, the score creates a very, very turbulent, engrossing atmosphere within separately on the album and also in the same mix so I, th- I think it's fantastic no i agree I, I i do i think i think i think i think this is i think this is just f- fantastic yeah, it, it's so good it is so good it's so it works so well on repeat listens it has such a variety of things going on within a consistency to it which is terrific it builds on itself it's got all it's got lots of different ideas run through it different tempos at different points even though like you say it's in that same you know like register i, I don't know I, I just i just fell in love with it it's great when you get a score like this where you just you keep hearing that sound in your head that it doesn't leave you and that's what that's what that's how it's what it's been like you know and i waited till i'd seen the film to listen to the score individually because i knew that i was going to get more out of it that way and I, i'm 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 just so pleased i'm so pleased that we've got something like this again for a film which had a lot of expectations to it and a lot of, you know, it, it, it could have gone either way, this film, really, given what, what's been happening with DC films over the last few years. It was a bit on, it was a bit of an unknown in some ways, you know, and, and I think it's proving this, the reaction to it largely is extremely positive. And I think, I, I do, like, like we said, I do think the score is a major reason why. So it's it's really, really great. It is really, really great. And I'm so pleased to be able to say that. Is this going to end up, High up, Sean, on on the scores of the year. Do you think is this going to be in the top ten when we get oh, there? Yeah, I would I would have thought so. I mean, let's wait and see how the rest of the year plays out. But the fact that we've got such a great singular, interesting superhero score, you know, thematically based superhero score, I can't emphasise that part of it enough. There is there are identities in this score. The bedrock is right. It's built on themes, which is something that Chikino has always done. That's that is key to the success of this. That's why it works. That's why going right the way back to Danny Elfman, you know, Danny Elfman built his Batman scores on themes. Michael Giacchino is is sage enough and literate enough and aware enough of the heritage that he takes that principle of Danny Elfman and, you know, runs with it. And yeah, I think almost certainly this is going to be in my favourite scores of the year without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely the same for me. I'd be very surprised if it wasn't. It's going to have to be a hell of a year for that not to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, bring it on, bring it on. Um, so yeah, thanks to everyone listening to us go through the bat, uh, the bat legacy, the bat history of uh, film scores since the, uh, since I guess the sixties in, in many ways. Since we did touch on that, so um, it's been a lot of fun doing this. It's been a lot of fun listening to this over the last few weeks and unpicking it and uh, and going through it. So um, so Sean, thanks, and and we'll be back for a traditional episode um in uh, in april looking at um, scores over the next month or so um but until then why don't we uh point to where people can find us so why don't you why don't you start 
Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at, at Sean Film Writer and on Twitter at SeanO22. And I also co-host the additional We Made This um, podcast, uh, Frame to Frame, with my good friend Andy Williams. So in which actually one of the most recent episodes, we did talk about Batman and Robin and <laughs> for our sins. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, and we touched on the score by Elliot Goldenthal. So please go and check Brilliant. that out because it was a good, fun episode. So Brilliant. Additional listening there. And you're closing in on 100 episodes aren't you we, as well we are we, we've got we've got some very it's very special very special plan for that so yeah yeah we'll, we'll, more, more and more details coming soon yeah we're, we're going we're going strong with that we have we haven't we haven't killed each other yet despite the fact that i was forced to watch um cats and <laughs> several other movies over the course of the last couple of years so um yeah yeah he's <laughs> trying your patience andy isn't he yeah so you know it's it, all right. I, we'll, I do the same to him so yeah. <laughs> well we'll be lucky if we get to yeah. 200 then at this rate but yeah, you know, yeah. it's going it's, it's going yeah. strong for now so that's good yeah, yeah you can find me at uh, aj black writer on twitter and um that's where i mainly hang out uh, and you can find uh, my website ajblackwriter.com and uh, where I'm doing writing primarily right now is failcritics.com. So you can find my review of the Batman on there and uh, various other things as well. So that's great. Check check us both out. Thank you for joining us anyway for this Batman special. Uh, and uh, remember, we're part of the We Made This podcast network, which you can find at W Made This on Twitter. We Made This pod uh, network on Instagram. And uh, We Made This just generally on Facebook. Please subscribe to Between the Notes, though, and give us a uh, an Apple uh, re- podcast rating and review, ideally. Um, that would really help us. And if you want to help the network and help us produce all these uh, wonderful podcasts that we have, um, please check out our Patreon and just consider supporting us if you go to patreon.com forward slash we made this. Um, but uh, film and TV music is not all we're discussing uh, on the network, so we'll give you a taste of what else you might have missed in a moment. We're going to play you out with another track from The Batman, from Michael G. Kino's brilliant The Batman score, uh, called All's Well That Ends Farewell, because he loves a little pun, doesn't he? He's <laughs> full, of, full of those. The yeah. track list is good. Yeah. And uh, until next time, we hope you enjoy the film music we've discussed. Stay safe and well, and we'll see you um, for more conversation discussing the music of film and sometimes a bit of television between the notes.
Between the Notes is produced and edited by Tony Black, who hosts alongside Sean Wilson. You can find Tony on Twitter at AJBlackWriter and Sean on Twitter at SeanO22. You can find Between the Notes on Twitter at BTW underscore notes, on iTunes, your podcast app of choice, on Spotify, Stitcher and on Spreaker, where the show is part of the We Made This Podcast Network. For more podcasts all about TV, film, books, music and popular culture in general, you can find We Made This on Facebook and on Twitter at We Made This Pod. Thanks for listening.